This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. My name is Amanda, and yeah, just please play standing as we read the word. So today we're in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgive us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day that you've made for us. Um, We're grateful to be other to, to gather and to worship your name. Thanks for your living word and the ultimate sacrifice you made for us. I pray that you make the cross a reality to us today more than it has ever been. Um, I ask that you be with Butch as he preaches this morning and that we leave looking more like you. We love you so much, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You guys can sit down. I'm supposed to do verses 13 through 15? I'm teasing. I know. I'm ready. Just want to make sure you guys are awake. At least for now. My name is Butch Vernon. I'm uh, one of uh, six elders here at the church. And uh, we, uh, we, we kind of cycle through preaching uh, through the, the, the Bible. We've been uh, in Colossians now for, for quite a while. And it's just an amazing book. Uh, you know, I want to welcome the, the parents of some of the young people here. I know this is uh, Parents Week. I didn't know that before I started seeing people my age come in. I'm not used to that. Uh, but uh, good to have you guys with us today. Just sit back, relax, let the Lord speak to your heart. Uh, the book of Colossians is an interesting book. The church of Colossae is an interesting church because they had a lot of things going on that we kind of have going on. There was, you know, uh, a, a, a lot of, not argument, but, but a lot of, hey, yeah, you've got Jesus, now we're going to make it better. You know, you, you've, you've, you've accepted the Lord, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, but there's some more things you need to do. You know, like you need to keep the dietary laws. You need to honor the Sabbath. You need to, uh, you, you need, some of the groups were saying, you, you need to pay attention to the spirits and the, uh, the, the spiritual realm. You know, make some, uh, make some sacrifices to them as well so they don't get kind of ticked off at you. And, you know, and they're adding all these things to the grace that, that had been preached to them previously. And so in this passage of Scripture, actually I was going through the, the, the list of passages when I saw that uh, verses 13 through 15 hadn't been taken yet. I was like, seriously? Nobody snatched that? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have some of that. Because it's just, it's just an amazing passage. Now I'm going to do something that's going to make some of you really uncomfortable. It probably won't be the first thing I do or the last thing I do that makes you uncomfortable today. Uh, but uh, I'm going to ask you to keep your Bibles closed for just a few minutes. You'll be able to open them again, right? Not taking your Bibles away. But I want to see if we can learn this passage together. 
okay? So that way you have it in your heart pocket. And as you leave from here today, you'll be able to meditate on it and maybe even, uh, you know, able to, to message later and say, hey, I saw this in this passage. You didn't tell me, but the Lord did. Uh, and, and that's always a good thing, right? So here is our story, our passage from God's Word. You were dead in your trespasses and, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. But Christ, he made you alive together with him by forgiving us all of our trespasses. He, he erased the, the certificate of debt along with all its obligations that was against us and opposed to us by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed and publicly disgraced the rulers and authorities triumphing over them in the cross. And that's our, that's our passage from God's Word. So now I'm going to get you guys, this is where you get to talk in church without being yelled at, right? Now if you talk in church later, I'm going to yell at you. But, but for now, I won't, right? I'll get you guys to help me retell this story. You were what? Yeah, you were dead in your, yeah, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but made you... Yeah, together with him, which that's just, oh, yeah, that's, that almost make a Baptist shout. Right? Just, God, that close, right? Together with him by doing what to those sins? By forgiving us all our sins. And notice he changed, changed pronouns, it went from you to us, which is, I think it's interesting. Uh, and then somebody already got it. He, yeah, he erased the, yeah, the certificate of debt with all its obligations that were against us and opposed to us. And do you remember how he did that? By nailing it to the cross. He did two things to the rulers and authorities. He disarmed and publicly disgraced, yeah, publicly shamed uh, them. And then he triumphed over them in the cross. Great job, man. You guys did, you guys did well. I can tell the parents are here. So, just kidding. You know, man, what, a, what an amazing passage of Scripture. Because it deals with freedoms in several different areas that, that Christ has provided for us. This last week, uh, we'll go ahead and put that picture up there. I'm not just pointing to a white. This is, uh, I, I would let you guys guess what I'm doing here, but you, we'd be here all day. 
I'm actually preaching my funeral at my grave. Uh, it's my family's grave there. Uh, my name is Roy Curtis Vernon III. My son, big tall kid leading worship, Roy Curtis Vernon IV. His son who will be here later, Roy Curtis Vernon V. Now you can't see in this picture, but Roy Curtis Vernon Sr. and Roy Curtis Vernon Jr. are in this picture. Not where you can see them. I, I, you know, I've, I've had a number of friends die in the last couple of weeks, and it's like, you know, and I'm listening to I'm, I'm listening to to people preach their sermons, and and I'm kind of like, man, this really didn't like that. This really didn't like the funeral sermon. And so I thought, I'm going to preach my own funeral. So that way, I know really good things are said about me, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and as I was as I was recording this, uh, I had my car. It's it's the Richmond Cemetery, and, and my car was pulled over as far as it would go. But a guy came in with a big dually, right? And, and so I, I had to move my camera out of the way. I had to pause my filming, uh, and uh, and and then as soon as he went by, I put the camera back. And, and I've got the, you know, I've got the screen turned towards me to make sure I'm still in shot. And, uh, and, and so as I'm, as I'm backing up uh, and, and, and still making sure that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the shot of the camera, I trip over my Uncle George's footstone at his grave. And I fall dressed up, because I'm actually going to a funeral service from here, I fall in the long, wet grass, and fortunately didn't hurt anything or, you know, didn't kill myself because that would have been strange, right? <laughs> Dies preaching his own funeral. Wait, I'm not done. Uh, but, so as I'm wallowing like a big, giant, crippled walrus in the wet grass, uh... All I can think of is my Uncle George tortured me my entire life. He died when I was 14 years old in a plane crash, in a plane explosion in, uh, in, in Richmond with about 13 other guys. Uh, and and even, even like two days before he died, he was, he was just harassing me. I was that 14-year-old kid that probably deserved to be harassed, honestly. But all I could think of as I was laying there in the grass was, man, my uncle would love this. You know, the, the fact that he tripped me in the middle of this. Well, let me ask you a question. What if, what if as I'm laying there in the grass, man, and, 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 and instead of seeing the humor in the situation, I get mad at the situation, and, and I get up and I start going, I mean, wouldn't that have been kind of dumb? Yelling at a dead guy? Right? Uh, but because, I mean, what's a dead person going to say? You know? Uh, if, if they do say something, they won't be saying it to me because I'll be gone. Right? But when, when we think of death, 
You know, when we think of spiritual, these, these Colossians, before Christ came to them, before they recognized what he had done on the cross, before they recognized that he had risen from the grave, they were spiritually dead. Just like in the garden. You know, the, in, in the garden, the woman started a conversation with a snake. That's never going to go well. Right? And, and, he said, and Satan said, Can, did God really say you can't eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden? And the woman said, oh, no, we can freely eat of the trees that are in the garden, except for the tree that's in the middle of the garden. We can't eat of it or even touch it, because if we do, we'll die. And the serpent said, you won't surely die, for God knows that the day you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise... She took the fruit and she ate it. And she gave to some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized that they were naked. Now you see, in that story, uh, that's in Genesis chapter 3. Some of you are going, wait, he was with her? No, that's not what it said. Check it out later. Trust me on this. It really says it. But God said they would die, and yet they ate of their fruit, and they didn't die. But they did, because they died spiritually. Which is the way we're all born. We're born spiritually dead. That's what Paul's addressing here. He said, you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. In other words, these folks from Colossians, they, they, they had two things going against them. First of all, their sin, transgressions. That's not a mistake, right? Uh, you know, it's interesting to me, when I see somebody else's sin, I'm just like, man, I cannot believe they chose to do that. that that's just evil. And yet, when I sin, I'm like, well, you know, hey, Lord, you know, forgive me, because uh, I kind of messed up, I made a little mistake. And, 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 and that's not the way it is, Right? Sin is me going, God, I'm going to do what I want to do regardless of what you say about. And that's what these Colossians had done. That's what all of us had done. We sin because we're sinners, and we're sinners because we sin. That, that nature comes out within us. I, I always love talking to, to somebody and they go, yes, I don't, you know, I believe that, that basically everyone is good and that they don't have a sin nature. And I'm going, have you, have you ever been around a two-year-old? I mean, is it, you know, like, you don't have to send them to sinning, sinning class, right? Okay, today we're going to learn how to lie. You know, it, 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 it comes from within their flesh. It comes from within their spirit. So they were sinners because of their transgressions, but also they didn't even have the covenant going for them. They, they weren't even Jews, right? So, so they, didn't even have the, they didn't have the Old Testament covenant working on their behalf. And Paul goes, hey, but Christ made you alive together with him. 
You know, we run right by that. The, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that brings us to new spiritual life. Okay, well, yeah, that's nice. Wow, cool. We don't get it. If that power that rose us from the, from the dead, we're dead. We could, we, we could have somebody yelling at us, stop sinning, repent, get better. It, we're dead. It doesn't matter what people are telling us until Christ made us alive. Until that power filled us spiritually and made us new creations. We didn't really have a choice when it came. I mean, we, we could choose our sins. But we were going to sin. Right? When, when I was in college, man, I, I smoked a lot. I mean, like I smoked all the time. Uh, I started smoking back before junior high school. Or middle school, as I think it's called now. Uh, and, and, and just, you know, there were cigarette machines every place. They cost me a quarter for a pack of cigarettes as I was waiting on the bus. Uh, and when I, was in, when I was in college, one day I walked out of a class and I looked at this pack of cigarettes and I went, man, I'm just going to stop, I'm going to stop smoking. And I, and I threw the pack of cigarettes in the garbage can. Now, I was not a believer. As a matter of fact, I couldn't have spelled the word believer at that point in my life. And uh, so I, I stopped smoking. So I stopped sinning against my body in that way, right? But you know what happened? I became proud about the fact that I stopped smoking. So basically, I swapped one sin for another. You know? I mean, it's just like, okay, I, I, I stopped doing this, but I started doing this. And, and I had no, you know, I, I had no control over, over my sin. But as a believer, now I have choices. That same power that resides within me, regardless of what it is in my life, Man, when I, was, when, when I was younger, when my wife and I got married, I was addicted to pretty much everything that was not good, right? And, and God began to slowly work with me one thing after another. And I was able to do those things not because I have this amazing internal moral strength, but because I have this amazing spiritual internal strength from the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what that means. That resurrected life that lives within you, that means whatever you're struggling with. If you're struggling with a fantasy life, if your computer is whispering to you in the middle of the night, hey, I'm over here. I'm over here. Come on, I've, I've got some things for you to think about. I've got some fantasies for you to plan in. That power that resides within us is stronger It's greater, and it's available. We have it. We have it. And then Paul switches, and he says, he has forgiven us all our trespasses. Not some, not most, all our trespasses. And us. You know, here, one of the problems, I, I get to travel a lot. Well, I used to get to travel a lot, uh, before the pandemic hit, right? Some of you might have read about it. It's in a lot of the papers. Uh, in the last couple of years, I've been in about 50 countries. 
And one of the things that really stands out to me when I go to be with other believers in other places is how individualistic we are compared to most of the rest of the world. To us, our faith is my own particular faith. And, and, and we think, okay, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to sit, I'm going to have fellowship and we're going to have a good time together, but then I'm going to go and I'm going to strive to live my Christian life on my own. It's not the model in the Bible. It's not the model for much of the, of the church and the rest of the world. It's relational. You see, guys, we need other guys to help us. And, and there is a, man, there, there is a pandemic of a lack of relationship among men in America today. We're isolated like never before. We're not being iron sharpening iron to one another. Most guys, especially guys my age, we're the worst. Right? And, and, and I could easily be the worst. I praise God for my wife because she just really pushes me. I could stay in the house pretty much all the time. I, I'm, I'm very much an introvert when it comes to groups, and, and, and I could just stay and read and be happy, right? Or what I would say was a semblance of happiness. But I need other people in my life. Guys, if you're struggling with some things, ladies, if you're struggling with some things, you ladies, you're so good at relationship stuff, it's really nauseating. I mean that in, in a good way. Oh, I bless your heart. See, that makes it all better, as long as I throw a bless your heart in there. But us guys, we're just terrible at that. And yet Paul says, it's us. We need each other. We need those, we need those relationships. And then he goes, Christ erased the certificate of debt with all its obligations. All this obligation. I, I love that. If you, you know, we have gotten to the point now because if you sign up for something on the internet and there's a little square box, I agree. Anybody here ever even bother reading what you're agreeing to? Yeah, I mean, we're like, oh yeah, click. Yeah, I trust these guys. I might have just given away my house right? and not realized it. Because I got no clue. I didn't read it. Right? But that's the way those things come with contracts, you know, all the, you, you need a lawyer, right, for anything you do because there's all this long list. And that's the way it was when it came to the law, was there was this long list of things and, and it wasn't for us, it was, it was against us. The law was good, but we couldn't live up to it. And I love in this, I love in, the, in verse 15, or verse 14, because there's this strange way that Paul puts this. He took it away by nailing it to a cross. What? You don't take something away by nailing it down. Right? And yet that's what he did. He, he put it on display on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. That's one word in the Greek. To telestai. The debt 
is paid. It is like Jesus took one of those big rubber stamps and he put it on the, on the blotter filled with his blood and he went to that certificate of debt and he stamped it, paid in full. <clears throat> I know it doesn't seem like it. I'm actually educated. My bachelor's degree, I have a 184-hour bachelor's degree. So I wasn't all that smart to get that many hours towards a bachelor that doesn't do anything for you. But then I'd started a church, Jacksonville, Florida, and I realized I was going to have people in my church come to me for advice, and I just didn't, I didn't just want to say, well, you know, I think this is a good idea. Y'all try this. And so I prayed it through, and it was like the Lord was telling me I, I needed to get a master's degree in counseling. Uh, my wife and I didn't believe in, in school debt. And, and so I was like, what are we going to do? And, and so uh, that first semester, I'd started my classes, and I went down to the, I went down to the business office, and it's like, okay, I'm going to have to work out payments, because I was working a job, I was uh, pastoring, and uh, and so I, I go to the office and say, hey, my name is, is Roy Vernon. I gave my social security number and, and I said, uh, I need to work out payments for this semester so I can pay to take my classes. And the, the, the guy pulled it up, at an, an actual physical copy. It wasn't even a computer, right? And, and he goes, oh, nope, you don't need to do that. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, I do because I don't have the cash. Right? Uh, I don't even have any rich relatives that could die and leave it to me, right? Uh, I'm just, I got to work out a payment plan. He goes, Nope. You are on a presidential scholarship, and your master's, Master of Arts degree is free. I went, What? I, can you check the, here's my driver's license. Can you check the name to because like, if you'd seen my grades in college, presidential scholarship really wasn't up there at the top of the things I expected to get. And the, the president of the seminary knew what, you know, knew what I was going through with, with school, with family, with starting a church and those things. And he had given me a presidential scholarship, so I didn't have to pay for that degree. The next one I had to pay for, and it took about 14 years to get it, but, uh, but, but that was, I mean, it was just like paid in full. Man, the, the relief I felt. But how much more the relief I felt when I realized that all those things I did in my life that were against God Jesus stamped paid in full on my behalf, and I didn't do anything to earn it. I was free from that debt. But you know, those Colossians, the other problem they had is they were scared to death of spirits. I mean, it just, you know, everything's going to get them. And, and this is a very common, there's basically three worldviews uh, on the planet. In, in, and it, it mixes, no place is all of one and all the other. It's kind of a mishmash. Uh, there's guilt righteousness, which is what you know, which is where we live. We look at things as uh, I'm guilty. I need to be made righteous. Awesome. 
there is uh, shame honor, which is what most of the, the Muslim world would be, a shame honor society. And it's really interesting. If you look at what's happening in our society over the last 10 years, we are rapidly turning to a much more shame honor society than we have been previously, although there's always been some shame honor component to our culture, right? But fear power is the fear of spirits, right? It's the fear of doing something that would, you know, that would, goodness gracious, knock on wood that we don't ever have to deal with that ourselves, right? Because we're far too advanced to Anybody here, you ever break a mirror? And you're like, oh, seven years of bad luck. I mean, do you realize how superstitious those things are? I want to do a wedding sometime where the bride and groom walk in under a ladder. We let loose a black cat. And to, and to uh, secure their vows, they break a mirror together. I just think that would be awesome. Right? But these guys, I mean, you go to the rest of the world, you can't hardly walk on the sidewalk in Bali. But because of all the sacrifices being made to the different spirits, it's like you're, you know, and heaven forbid you kick one over, that would not be a good thing, right? Uh, but because people are trying to appease. I remember we were in Haiti and my wife was, uh, was with this young lady and, uh, and, and she had... Uh, she had, had she miscarried on her way to the doctor's office on the back of a motorcycle, and, and and after that, and she she was part of the church. She was very active in the fellowship, but later she went to the hungan to the witch doctor to make sacrifices uh, to the spirits because she was afraid her baby would come back and haunt her. It's the same thing. I was in Haiti right after the earthquake with one of the first disaster relief teams that came in from the SBC and. And I kept hearing all these news reports that were just so wrong. Uh, and they're saying, oh, people are afraid to go in their houses. People are afraid to do that. They're afraid. They were afraid, but they were afraid because when we were there, there were huge dump trucks full of bodies going through the street. And they were just being dumped in a hole and covered with bulldozers. They could not have individual funerals because there were so many dead. And in that culture, honoring your dead is a high, high value. And people were terrified that these spirits were going to come back and haunt them. And yet, what happened was, over the next six months, I was back about five months after that, God had done such an amazing work to briefly break the power of that superstition because people were bringing their voodoo objects to the churches and they were burning them. Uh, in, in front of the churches because they begin to recognize, wait, these powers didn't protect us from the earthquake. They obviously aren't going to protect us from other things. As believers, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in fear of the enemy. We do need to be wise. Because, you know, it, it's it, in our modern day, it's, People, it's, it's strange to talk about spiritual demonic forces, right? Those are real. Uh, and if you do ministry anywhere else in the world, you'll see that outside the West. Uh, Satan doesn't hide himself in the rest of the world the way he does here. But we don't have to be afraid of those things. 
Because greater is the one who is in us than he who is in the world. And, and, and Paul says, Christ disarmed and publicly disgraced the enemy on the cross. That's, man, that's huge, guys. But, I was growing up, my dad was an outdoors guy, right? And so, uh, we, we caught and ate a lot of snapping turtles. Uh, we'd have people in a the pond, they'd say, man, my fish are, you know, my fish are disappearing. We'd take a big old milk jug and, uh, and a, a big hook and a chicken neck, and we'd throw it out there, and we'd, we'd catch about a 20 or 30-pound snapping turtle, and, uh, and then we'd, we'd kill it, clean it, and fry it up. Goody. Man, that's goody. I had some, country, uh, some, some city cousins that came out one time. My dad had just, just finished killing about a... 40, 45-pound snapping turtle. It, it was man, huge. The head was just ginormous. And uh, one of the first things he did, he had a big old pair of uh, plumber's pliers that he'd stick up there, and that snapping turtle would whoop, grab a hold of those, and he'd pull it out, and then he'd kind of lop off the head uh, before we boiled it and then chopped it up and, and fried it because we're in the South. Everything's better fried. And uh, so my cousins, I, he, he, just left that, he just left the head over there by the fence. And so my cousins, I, hey, guys, you want to see death snapping turtle? Oh, yeah. yeah. And so we, we, we go over and, and, you know, this big old snapping turtle has been, it's been 24 hours. I said, you want to see something cool? They go, yeah. So I take a stick. And I said, you got to get it real close to see. That's kind of the mean cousin. And so as they're leaning there, I take that stick and I put it right up by the snapping turtle's nose. And that snapping turtle opens its mouth and whoosh, just snaps that stick in two like it was nothing. 24 hours after its head had been cut off. So that snapping turtle was dead. It was defeated. As a matter of fact, part of it was already ingested. but it could still do some damage. That's Satan. That's the enemy. The battle's won. It's over. We win. As a matter of fact, not we win. We won. It's, I see all kinds of things out there, and it's like God and Satan are arm wrestling. You see who's going to win over... Like, no. No. Never, never been, never will be. We win. And so we can have the peace and the assurance that comes from knowing that we're on the winning team and that we're serving the winning journal. General. The word triumph there, and we'll, we'll finish with this. We see that word triumph, and we don't understand it is a particular thing. Paul was writing this. A, a Roman triumph was a very structured thing. A Roman general, if he won a battle of it with, uh, against at least 5,000 enemy outside of Rome in another country and got land that was given to Rome, and his soldiers declared him worthy, 
he could come to the Senate of Rome and say, hey, I want to have a triumph. And the Roman Senate, you know, they kind of, there was a set of things that had to be in place that he had to have, had to have accomplished. And uh, if he'd done all those things, he'd go, awesome. And so there was a parade route in Rome. And it was the same, pretty much the same thing all the time, as far as we can tell. And it sometimes lasted five days. Businesses would be closed. There'd be feasts and celebrations, very often paid for by the government or by the general who was being triumphed. And they would have these wagon loads full of stuff that would come by one day. This is, these are, this is the armor of the, of the enemy that was defeated. And then you'd have the, the soldiers very often stripped down to nothing, walking, you know, parading through the streets while the people are mocking them and making fun of them. And, and, and then they would have exotic animals from the land that, that uh, they had gone to. You know, elephants and giraffes were some of the favorites of the Romans because... They'd never left the city, so this was all new to them. It was like, wow, that's cool. You know, and, and, and there it is. Wow. And so for five days, that last day, the king is brought, tied to a post, and, and all his fancy armor is in a wagon before him with his crown perched on top of that. And just behind him is a general that won the victory. That's the picture that Paul is painting here of Jesus. That, that Satan, not only has he been defeated, he has been disgraced. You know, we're, we're told in 1 Corinthians, if Satan could go back, he would stop the crucifixion because although he was all in favor of it, he did not realize the results that were going to come about because of the cross. He didn't realize that what he thought was God's defeat was his defeat. And God publicly disarmed him and shamed him. And what that means for us, whatever God calls us to do, we have the power to do it. We have the freedom to do it because we're no longer in debt. But we also have to, don't have to worry about opposition to what God has called us to do. Because we win. What is it in your life that God's calling you to do that you've been afraid of? What, what sin is it in your life? You're like, man, I can't win. I can't win. I can't. You can. You can. It's there. And if you, you know, if you want somebody to walk alongside you with that, Come, let us know. Let, let some of the elders know. Let, let some of the leaders know. Man, we, we want to be iron sharpening iron with each other. But let's just rejoice over the fact we win. And when we die, it gets gooder. And it never ends. We, we, we have these little plastic cups of grape juice. Uh, and they have these little, I'm not sure if the wafers are actually made out of plastic or not, but uh, they kind of seem like it, don't they? Uh, but there, there's no magic in these, right? It, it's just, 
You know, most people don't know the Welch's grape juice guy, the guy that invented it, was a, a Baptist deacon. Uh, he, he didn't want, he had a lot of people in his church that had problems with alcohol. And he hated that they would come to church and have to drink real wine. And so he made, he invented a grape juice that uh, would stay good for a long period of time. So that they wouldn't have to do that. How, how cool is that? But, you know, this, this, this is grape juice. This is, this is a little piece of bread. But it symbolizes something far greater. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote, and he wrote to one of the churches and said, you guys are not doing this properly. Because of that, some of you are sick and some of you have died. So the communion is, you know, we take it every week, which there's a biblical precedent for that, right? But don't ever take it for granted. And don't ever partake without really stopping to examine yourself. Okay, Lord, am I being faithful? But as you take it, remember, not just what was done, but what's available because of what was done. We're free. We're free in so many ways. And we'll get to be with the Lord forever and ever. What a promise. But if you're here, we want to offer you something better than bread and juice. If you don't know the Lord, man, I'd love to talk to you. Any of the leaders would love to talk to you. It's about relationship. The world spells religion D-O. You got to do stuff to get God's attention. The Bible spells true religion. D-O-N-E. It's all been done. And if you would know, if you would like to know how you can receive that gift that's already been given for you, come and see us. Father God, as the guys come to lead us in in worship, uh, I just pray that as we partake of your Lord's Supper, I pray, Lord, it might just be real to us and we would be found faithful, Lord, to strive to live according to that presence of your spirit which lives within us. Forgive us for those times, Lord, where we choose to, uh, to push your presence down and lift and, and reach out with our flesh. I pray, Lord, as we partake of this juice and this bread, we be reminded of the freedom we have in you. And Lord, if there's even one person here that doesn't know you, may they have the courage just to talk to somebody. Maybe somebody they came with or uh, maybe one of us, Lord. But, oh, what a great day. What a great day to meet you as Savior. Do what you desire to do this morning. For in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.